Rachel Needle from Talking With Tech. And I'm Chris Bouguet from Talking With Tech. We have a podcast dedicated to augmentative and alternative communication, all things related to helping kids with complex communication needs. If you have a passion for helping people with language disabilities, this is the show for you. Each episode features an interview or a roundtable discussion on a topic related to augmentative communication and helping people with language disabilities. And we're really passionate about giving practical strategies to clinicians working in the field who are working with children or adults, anything related to AAC. So you can look us up on iTunes or you can find us on Facebook. We've got a group over there or check out our website at bit.ly slash TWT podcast. Please join our community of professionals that are working to ensure that everyone can say whatever they want to say, however they want to say it. Please listen carefully. What is communication? An essential behavior of life. We have the both blessing and responsibility of trying to foster another. It's the strongest way for two people to convey information to each other. Communication is a lifeline. It's just connection with other people. Connecting people in terms of ideas, thoughts, or needs. Draws us out of ourselves, draws us into that relationship, you know, builds up our families without it being lost. Whatever it is that we do to express intent and achieve an impact. Communication is the ability to express your needs, wants, frustrations, and desires to anyone that you feel needs to have that information. Welcome to Speech Science Episode 88. We are proud members of the Exceptional Podcast Network. I'm Matt Hot, joined, as always, in the Bluegrass State, Michelle Wintering. How's it going, Matt? I'm great, Michelle. How are you doing? Good. I'm waiting for you to turn and say, and Mike, but he's not here tonight. He's not here this week. It is just you and I, and of course, you at home. We want to always hear from you. Your opinion is probably more important than ours. And to hear it, we want you to go to speechsciencepodcast.com. And from there, you can always phone call us, 614-681-1798. Or the same phone number for a text message, 614-681-1798. Or you can email us, speechsciencepodcast at gmail.com. On Twitter, at speechsciencepc and hashtag sspod, right? Yep, and speech underscore science is our username on Instagram. There we go. We love the social media, Michelle. I don't know about you, but I get to start seeing kids this week. And it's great. It's been two weeks. I've been building my schedule, and I found out tomorrow uh, is map testing. Oh. Yeah. I'm sorry to hear that. Does that give you more time to work out your schedule, though? It does. Two extra hours every day this week. There you go. You don't have to monitor it, do you? Map testing? What? Map testing? No, I do not. I was asked if I wanted to, and I politely declined. Yeah. If you can politely decline and work on your schedule, I think that's good for you. Do you do any of the duties at school? Um, I'm not in a school anymore, but when I was at oh, yeah. a school in Colorado, yeah, definitely. Um, Why? I mean, we did everything. We did bus duty. We did, oh. um, yeah, you know, monitoring, map testing equivalents. We did, we did all of that. But that's we were also employed by that school, and it was technically its own school district, and we were part of the team. So there you go. That's fair. I am employed by the school and part of the team, but do not do any of the extras. Hey, time management is important, and it is a good skill to learn how to say no as well, professionally. In all fairness, I do tell the principals that, like, hey, if you need, like, a substitute to do bus duty or lunch duty or recess duty, feel free to come ask me. I can help occasionally, but I can't guarantee that I'm available every day uh, at that time period. And that's fair. I think so. And yeah. if you have a staff um, that's understanding of it, you can usually work around it. Hopefully. So that's my week, uh, trying to get ready for students and then having testing come up and throw a big curveball at me. You look like you got how- a new school haircut, though, Matt. I did. All my hairs fell out. All that your is awesome. hairs. All my hairs. How's your week been, Michelle? Uh, doing well. We're actually headed on vacation for a week to Colorado, speaking of, uh, to go visit friends that are like family out there so looking forward to going back to where my husband and i met and where we got married oh well you might like this story then well our interview today uh is with eric de grove he's the founder and president of blink sessions a telehealth 
platform designed specifically for speech therapy. Uh, his wife, uh, Ricky, is a speech pathologist and added teletherapy to their private practice out of Colorado Springs, well, where they live. Well, look at that. Uh, so they soon found out there was no live video platforms, and they created their own uh, platform for teletherapy, speech and language therapy. So I got to speak with Eric and that'll be our big interview today. Also stories that we're going to talk about. What is surf therapy? I'm excited for this one. Also the new FDA breakthrough and cochlear implants and also the framework for setting up your AAC. But Michelle, I thought we'd start off with this one. Uh, according to ASHA, uh, a poll they sent out, one in four parents are concerned about their child's ability to communicate. You know, I, as a pretty new parent myself, I think that we're always worried about milestones. So it makes sense to me that a quarter of parents will admit to being worried about communication milestones for their kids. Well, Ash has got their current um, identify the signs and it's identify the signs.org. Um, it's of communication disorders. But as a parent, I think sometimes, especially as a speech path pathologist parent, I worry too much about this stuff. Yeah, we can't shut it off, though. Like, I know I can't. I can't clock out of being speech pathologist, even if I'm not at work. So we still view it through that lens that we're trained through. And sometimes I need to try to take that hat off and just be mom. True. Um, but I do think it also, to an extent, is really good that we have that knowledge because we might be aware of something or seek out support for something, not just speech, but something else like realize hey we need to give ourselves a referral somewhere uh, according to the study 23 percent of parents were able to correctly identify 75 percent or more of the signs of a communication disorder uh, five percent were able to correctly identify all of the signs and only 46 percent said that their children are read to uh, five to seven days per week yeah well that I'll goes back to our other our other articles that we've talked about with the word gap and how important the reading is. Did you see there was some controversy about the million word gap, by the way? No, fill me in. Uh, basically, they were saying that the million uh, word gap was a little bit misleading because no one reads to their children that much. Oh, okay. So it was kind of, they're saying it was a little bit skewed because there's only a very small amount of people that read to their children that much the seven days a week they, they, they that they did in the study wow i couldn't say that sentence three times fast mm -hmm. um but you know what though i mean in our house my wife uh, kicks butt she takes care of the reading unfortunately to the kids because i get home a little bit later than i want to but i think our kids are read to four to five times a week at least mm -hmm. yeah i would say the same with with my son but i thinking back to that study where they said what five or six books a day yes yes i can't say it's five books a day no <laughs> well, i mean we read a book a day for sure but uh he's also one so we're we're uh we, you got a little time the attention span there but um oh, back to this article though the one thing i was gonna say what kind of stood out to me is the top reasons the article list that parents gave for not seeking treatment Mm -hmm. uncertainty about where to get treatment, pediatricians telling them that their children would grow out of the problem, a school's, uh, child's school or teacher saying there wasn't a problem, parents thinking that the concern didn't seem like a big deal, and parents not knowing where to start or who to contact. Yeah, that's the one that can, gets me the most is the one where the doctor says it's not a big deal. Well, or according to this, the school or teacher saying there. Mm-hmm. I've had a lot of parents come to me and say that their doctors have said, hey, it'll be okay. He's just a rough and tumble boy. He'll grow out of it. And he's two and a half years old, not talking. Mm -hmm. And it's like, well, that's a huge red flag. Some of the signs of a language disorder, according to identifythesigns.org, uh, not smiling or inter interacting with others uh, from birth, uh, babbling between four and seven months. Uh, says only a few words between 12 and 18 months and does not put words together from one and a half to three years old. Mm -hmm. And I'm a big advocate. I've, you know, I have some friends who are pediatricians and pediatricians I've gotten to know working at different clinics uh, just because they'll send us over referrals. And 
I always advocate for the parent and to seek the referral and for the doctors to send them. They often wait till after that two-year appointment, sometimes till two and a half years before they'll send them to a speech pathologist because I think it's red flagged at the two words by two years, two words by two years, mm-hmm. which is a great benchmark. But there's a lot of kids putting more than that together. And there's some that aren't yet. And uh, my mom used to use the analogy of children being on a scavenger hunt for skills versus a, just a list that they check off. That you know, yep. your son versus my son is going to grasp different skills before in a different order. Because it's a scavenger hunt. It's not just like, do this, then this, then this. <laughs> um, I love that. A scavenger yeah. hunt. I yeah, love it's that. It's like, you might find a different one first. But um, I'm a big advocate for getting the evaluation, getting the assessment with the speech pathologist, because we can give them ideas for home. We can give them, hey, here's where your kid's at. And maybe they're right in the middle of the bell curve. Uh, but we can also, through that eval, notice, okay, they're in the middle of the bell curve, but you know what they're not doing? They're not yet putting those two words together. So here's some things you can do to work on carrier phrases or longer sentences or making them verbalize, not just communicate through gestures. My my youngest, Andrew, he, oh, he was about one and a half and was barely saying maybe five words. And when he was two, he was putting maybe one or two words together, but it was very, very sparse. Mm-hmm. And then somewhere right around like two and three or four months, my wife and I were saying maybe we should go look at getting him evaluated because I am not the I, I've said it before. I love little kids. I do not work with little kids. I, I, I just don't have that therapy brain. So we we're going to look to maybe get him evaluated and then overnight, it was just an explosion of vocabulary. Yeah. So he hit that, what we call the language boom, right? I've heard mm-hmm. that term. And I know for kids, it can hit most of them 18 months to two and a half years. But it depends on the kid, right? Yep. Uh, and if you listen to last week, he was the one that was trying to talk all the time in the back of every interview. There you go. <laughs> but no, you know what, though? I mean, like, how do you handle it? You know, we're SLPs and we try to help parents, but like, is there a way to tactfully push a parent to get their child evaluated? Say they're one and a half, two years old. They're not saying many words. They're not easily understood. What I do is I try to, like I said, encourage the eval for information because the minimum you're going to get from a speech language pathologist evaluation if they don't qualify for treatment is you're going to know that and you're going to know where they're at and it might ease some worries too because then you know okay yeah we're we're okay maybe my older kid was actually early on that bell curve and that's why I'm thinking this kid's behind whatever it is but the best news would be catching something earlier than later so my, my thought, whenever I've had friends ask or um, patients ask. Do you ever volunteer younger, for that, by the way? What? Volunteer what? Like information to friends that don't ask? Um, honestly, it, it tends to come up. Or there's ways. Does it really? Yeah, okay. it tends to come up if they know what I do. Or, um, or once they find out what I do, it tends to come up. So That's fair. There's, there's few times that I think I've ever felt like, I needed to say something and they weren't receptive to it. And I want it. If it's just a kid I'm passing in the supermarket, I'm not going to be dispensing. <laughs> You're at the local Kroger's. You're like, hey, that kid is not intelligible and he's not saying any words. He's at least four. Ma'am, you should. <laughs> he's a week four. Ma'am, you should go take your son to a speech pathologist. He may need to be, be worked with. A Here's my bit. card. Kids. No, um, I'm not. Oh, how do you get your uh, referrals? Kroger's, Giant Eagle. I'm not uh, handing out business cards to random people, (laughs) but uh, I do think most parents, just going back to the article, we worry about milestones. So if Mm -hmm. we cross paths or have a friend who works in that field, we might be more comfortable asking for it. And, um, And I remind the pediatricians I work with that if parents have concerns at 18 months, um, and at then, what is it, 18 months and it, you see them in between 18 months and two years, do you, with the doctors? Uh, no, no, I think it's 18 months, two years, and then three years. Yeah. So I, I've 
told pediatricians, hey, at 18 months, if they're very concerned, even if you're thinking, let's just wait till two before we get that referral, start the referral process. Because depending on insurance and all that, it could take a while. And if there's wait time True. before they could get in for therapy, they might be past two years old before they even get in for that treatment. But at least you've started the process. And that way they say suddenly their kid hits that language boom and they don't need it anymore you can always turn it down that's true it's easier to cancel than the reschedule yep for not needing if you need it please exactly uh reschedule uh the survey for anyone was listening or wants to know it was over 1100 parents uh, of children ages zero to eight were collected uh from march 20th to march 27th online so yeah pretty interesting we want to hear from you, though. How are you helping parents identify the signs? Head over to our website, speechsciencepodcast.com. Email us, speechsciencepodcast at gmail.com. Or text or call 614-681-1798. We haven't had a voicemail in a while. I think our last voicemail was the lady from Australia. Oh, yeah? Do we have a winner for the Asha dinner with you yet, Matt? No, nobody has done the $100 Patreon to eat Asha dinner with me. And a guest in Disney. Man. Just saying. Just saying. Hey, if you're coming to Asha, it's a pretty nice dinner. Matt's a, Matt's a yeah. good uh, I'll buy. dinner. I'll buy. <laughs> dinner guest. Are you going to Asha yet? Have you decided? We are try I'm trying to. Okay. Okay. Let me know when you do because I got exciting news. I'll tell you off air about that. Man, you're such a tease for our guest. I know. <laughs> our listeners. All right. All right. <laughs> Our next story coming up out of, actually out of ASHA as well. Uh, this is the study out of the American Journal of Speech-Language Pathology uh, by Allison Bean and Lindsay uh, Padden-Cargill and Samantha Lyle. Uh, it's a framework for selecting vocabulary for preliterate children who use augmentative and alternative communication. Uh, Michelle, I know you spent your grad school years in the AAC labs at The Ohio University. It, Not to be confused with the other one in the state. Do you know, until What's we graduated, I didn't that? realize that it had the V in front of it when I got my degree, my diploma. I, I'm wearing my world's greatest Bobcat shirt while we do Perfect, this, by the way. Perfect, which is the Ohio University mascot, by the way. Right. But, Michelle, you did your time in the AAC labs with Dr. John McCarthy. Mm -hmm. uh, say it anyway on Twitter. Um What's your takeaway from from frameworks for helping with vocabulary? Um, you know, I was looking through the article. I didn't get to read it as detailed as I would have liked. But, um, gosh, I I wish I could work with more AAC. Do you get to see a lot of it, Matt? Uh, I, I just moved to a new school district. I think I've got a handful of AAC devices. I know I was talking to the high school SLP, and they have a ton of devices. Mm, okay. Yeah, so maybe you'll have some more opportunities for it. I've only done a handful of AAC evaluations as a practicing SLP, but in grad school, I definitely learned a lot from Dr. McCarthy, but I feel like with technology changes, I'm behind the curve already with mm -hmm. what AAC systems are out there. But um, I do like how this, this article talked about, of course, we want the core vocabulary. We always hear core vocabulary, core vocabulary, but they also empathize emphasize that it's individualized vocabulary that no uh -huh. AAC system should only consist of core vocabulary um, that you have to have that fringe and specific vocabulary depending on the kid uh, and they even in their little chart that they gave I was laughing about it with Matt before we got on the air but the activity was listening to music and you have the core vocabulary the high frequency words right on off down up more I you go stop mm -hmm fast slow but then you also have taylor swift which i'm assuming is this kid's favorite artist right because that's the related vocabulary that needs to be programmed on that device well they talk about there are four variables that you should use when picking the vocabulary it's the context of the environment which can be used so there you go there's that go on off you could use those for music or you know or any pretty much any activity, activity yeah right uh, the time span during which the vocabulary will be relevant. So if it's just a vocabulary term that's used during that one 10 minute session, mm -hmm. maybe not use it as much as the word that you can use throughout the day, uh, whether the vocabulary can elicit and maintain interactions with other people. So again, your Taylor Swift uh, example before 
that's only for a very select few people that know her music and enjoy her music. Mm-hmm. And, and then lastly, whether the vocabulary will facilitate developmentally appropriate grammatical structures. This one's the one I always have the hardest time with uh, when picking vocabulary. Mm. And that means, is it going to facilitate longer sentences for them with grammatical, correct grammatical structures, right? Correct. Sorry, I was taking a drink. That's the one I always have the hardest time with because I I like those quick action words Mm -hmm. that don't always necessarily facilitate longer utterances. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, that's true. And uh, I mean, if you look at table two on this article from ASHA, Mm -hmm. They, the targeted vocabulary for each month, they have their core words, but they've included some others. And one um, I worked with, Gretchen Storm, she's a, a speech pathologist in Denver, and she's a specialist with AAC. And I remember learning from her how important the word different was. And that's on this list. Oh. Uh, because too often we want to say, you know, here's your choices. We give them two choices. And if you have two choices and you suddenly teach the kid the word different, think about how powerful that word is because mm-hmm. they can communicate with that one word of a lot of different things different because now I can tell you, I don't want anything you're offering me. I want to stop this. I want to do something else. All that can be done with that word. So that could become a very high frequency word depending on the kid. One of the hard parts I have with AAC training in general um, and, and this chart kind of reminded me of it is having a set list of vocabulary words to target mm-hmm. for each month. Um, sometimes the kids that I'm working with, I get slogged down into descriptors or the same vocabulary um, and they become masters of five, six phrases. But then it's like, oh my gosh, we can't generalize. I want to swing or I want blue crayon or xyz we can't generalize that into mcdonald's or burger king mm-hmm. but those might be well McDo- depending how often they go there mcdonald's if they're just gonna, an example yeah yeah but i'm thinking like a field trip right like they're gonna have that mm-hmm. vocabulary for a specific field trip to the local farm and petting zoo and they need that vocabulary for that to prep for that trip and at the trip obviously and then mm-hmm. they need to be able to still access it to reference it to retell which is going to engage with other peers so even that fringe vocabulary can be important true i don't know i i love aac i was actually listening to um oh where was i i think maybe i was at osa last year or the year before and they talked about the importance of learning this and that Hmm. as a concept yeah because you can then very quickly say, do you want this or do you want that? Huh. And it's a very, so like that way, instead of trying to teach 10,000 different fringe words that the student may only learn one time, mm-hmm. you you have a very quick this or that. So like uh, if you're at the bowling alley and it's like, do you want this random multicolored bowling ball or that other random multicolored bowling ball. Hmm. Can you link to this? I'm, I, I'd like to see that. Like I said, it was at an Osla presentation, oh, so I have okay. to dig through my notes. Yeah. But I might be able to send that, and I might be able to put the link up to the Osla website if I can find it. I, but it was, I, I think read it was like during a Q&A session, too. Yeah, because I'll be honest, I often skip those. <laughs> at least. Yeah, no, so... Go ahead. I didn't mean to cut (laughs) you off. I'm sorry. No. So like they were saying, like that was like the importance of this or that. So then that way you're giving the student that random opportunity for something that doesn't have a word. Like how often do you say, oh, can you go get me that? Mm -hmm. And you're pointing to. Yeah. And I'm not, I'm not intentionally skipping them, but that's not a word that I typically would think to put on a a vocabulary list. Mm -hmm. Uh, I've done it before where. We'll put it on the front page mm-hmm. so then that way the student can have this or that. And I'm just now thinking that I don't think I've ever trained a teacher or an EA to make sure that they're this and that are lined up on the same page, on the same side mm-hmm. as the page. Yeah. Yeah. I just thought of that. Well, and, and in the article, they even with the selection for the five words they targeted each month during that school year, um, they seem to very carefully 
I mean, it even says they selected the vocabulary based on the words ability to pair with existing vocabulary in developmentally appropriate grammatical structures. There you go. But, um, but they made sure it worked with other words they were already learning. So they were building on it. So I guess it's a reminder for me to not teach things in isolations, to build on mm-hmm. their baseline and then what they learned last month or last week or last session and keep going. Yeah, I, I, again, I like that. And I think i got to figure out a way to incorporate those four core principles. Again, they're talking about the context for the vocabulary, the time span that it can be used, uh, whether the vocabulary can elicit and maintain interactions with other people, and whether the vocabulary will facilitate those appropriate longer grammatical structures. Mm, very good. So coming up after the break, I got to sit down with Eric DeGrove, the founder and president of Blink Session, a telehealth platform designed specifically for speech therapy. And then after after that, uh, we'll talk a little bit about the breakthrough in cochlear implants and what surf therapy is. We want to hear from you. Head over to our website, speechscience.com, and you can email us speechsciencepodcast at gmail.com or give us a phone call 614-681-1798. We'll be right back. You're listening to Speech Science. Do you have an idea for a product or book? Or are you ready to go beyond in-service presentations? Well, how do you get started? And what if you don't have any business experience at all? Well, I have some great news for you. I'm Mailing Chan, and I'm getting the nitty-gritty stories from parents, teachers, therapists, advocates, and people with disabilities who have created successful businesses, and they're sharing their intimate stories with you. Listen to us on the Exceptional Leaders Podcast and fast-track creating and building and sharing your idea with the world so that you can help more people. Welcome back to Speed Science. I'm Matt Hot. I am excited to be joined by Eric DeGrove, the founder and president of Blink Sessions, the telehealth platform designed specifically for speech therapy. Eric, thank you so much for sitting down and uh, joining me today. Thank you, Matt. It's a pleasure to be with you. So let's start this whole thing off. Let's start from the beginning. We're going to be talking about teletherapy today. Right. And the big big warning sign I got to give to all the clinicians listening is that you need to check with your state licensure to see how it works specifically. But I assume mm-hmm. we're going to talk in generalizations today, right? Yeah. And ASHA does have a good page on that that goes over every state for uh, telehealth requirements. So, so in a nutshell, how does teletherapy work and is it as scary and should I be against it as much as I am or should I embrace it? <laughs> what is it? Yeah. So, you know, everybody, uh, not everybody, but most of us have used Skype or FaceTime or something to communicate with our loved ones or friends uh, over the internet. And, you know, you you forget that Skype pretty much came out in 2003 and we all started pretty much using it in 2005. But, <laughs> you know, it's very similar to that. It's, you know, it's utilizing that technology to not only have the voice meeting with somebody, but to use video. But, you know, telehealth, really takes it a step further if of not just having a conversation but trying to accomplish a goal that's what i tell people is you 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 do you do have to take it more seriously than just turning on your phone and doing facetime because you're trying to accomplish the therapy goal and so you know on one hand it's very similar and on another hand it's very different than what you might be used to i know when i was going through kent state this was back in 2010 2009, 2010, Dr. Susan Grogan Johnson was starting to use teletherapy and and doing a little bit of research working from uh, Kent, Ohio, and working with a student all the way down in the southern part of Ohio. They were separated by about four hours, but she was Mm -hmm. able to do biweekly sessions with this student. Uh, Is it as simple as that? Is that I find a student and I start working with them? Yeah, it can be. You know, it can be. We know a blink session... Yeah, we um, we came out about a year ago, and we have twenty different companies that are um, customers of ours, and they work in all different kinds of contexts. You know, one of the biggest is schools. Of course, you know the schools represent a large portion of speech therapy, and um, you know for a lot of it, it's the the lack of access. So a lot of schools having problems getting therapists, uh, but it could be as simple as like you know my wife and I own a speech clinic here in Colorado Springs, and some of the um, 
our clients were coming from far outside of the, um, out of our city area. And we thought, hey, why don't we offer this option where they don't have to drive in an hour, maybe they do an eval in, in town, and then we connect with them that way. So yeah, there's, there's so many different ways people get into it. Um, and there's different ways that your patients or your clients, students are getting into it. Yeah, many different ways. So before we get too much into the blink part, I want to talk about how you and your mm. wife, Rick, Ricky, right? Yeah, Ricky. Mm. Uh, how you guys made that jump. So what was it like for that first patient where you guys said, hey, we're going to do teletherapy? Yeah, yeah. Well, for me, I'm not a speech therapist, so right. it was easy. <laughs> and for my um, for my wife, you know, it was you know she's the perfectionist of the family, and so for her, she wants to do an amazing job at, at therapy. You know, and I think having your own private practice, you're even more motivated because you got your rep reputation. And I um, I think for her, it was a little bit of a struggle of how do I take something I've done for years in person and do it online? You know, because I like to tell people that the computer becomes this medium and the medium, you know, uh, as people say the medium is the message. So if the, the medium is that computer, you got this thing between you now, you know, in person, you don't have anything between you and that student and that client, but I got this computer down. So you have to have tools. You got to have a tool set. You got to have games or something that works in this medium that would enable you to kind of replicate what you did in person. So I think for her, yeah, it was a bit of a challenge because suddenly all those games and flashcards and different physical things she had wouldn't work. And there had to be an alternate way of doing it. So, so how did you guys uh, work that part out for your patient? Did you guys have to give them, or for, for Ricky's patient, did you have mm. to give them a, a tablet? Did they use their own iPhone? How did that part come about? Yeah, so, you know, we originally envisioned you know, I think everybody thinks that, like we did, uh, well, you know, people have broadband internet and they have a computer. We figured, you know, they're going to need a screen big enough. And we we thought, well, we can use these different types of platforms, you know, that have some kind of HIPAA compliance. <laughs> and uh, we were, you know, for uh, for us, I think the, the, the big struggle was it wasn't so much the t uh, the hardware, it's more the limitations of the software. And that's really where I started was, you know, what kind of interactivity can we accomplish through this, this software? Because, you know, Intel in these days, 2018, 15 years after Skype really came out, the video is kind of the easiest part, you know, getting on the video, if you have a good connection, but then it's like, what do you do once you get connected? You know, just looking at each other with a, you know, eight-year-old doing articulation exercises or whatever is, uh, is usually not enough. It's not interesting enough. <laughs> so. Yeah. So then that led you, got, so did you and you, your wife develop, mm. uh, I was going to call it Blink. Yeah, Blink. Yeah, Blink. Um, yep. I was looking at your other uh, site, the Sprout yeah. Therapy. So yeah. that's why I got kind of a little confused. And I'll have the links for both of those in the, in the show description. Okay. But. How did did you guys go? Who came up with the idea of the the software part? Was yeah. that you? Was that Ricky? Was that a com combination? Yeah. Well, um, you know, I'm the uh, risk taking one, so <laughs> you know, my background has been in IT and well, I'm an entrepreneur, so it's many things, but IT and software development. And I originally thought, you know, honestly, it was how can I build something that would just catalog all her resources or different resources so she could use something like Zoom or GoToMeeting or whatever it is. And then I started developing this kind of like resource catalog for her. And I said, well, since we have the resources here in this uh, software I'm making that's all web-based, why not I just put video in here too? <laughs> and it kind of, and then I started researching more of, hey, there's really not a platform out there that does what this really needs to do and my my main objective was how do i make this easier for her how do i make it easier for therapists because at that point she was having to gather all the resources herself and that's what you know even large teletherapy companies now you might go work for them and they might have some pdfs or something on dropbox somewhere but they'll just expect you to uh, have all these catalog all these resources and screen share them and so I, I thought well you know that's that's so labor intensive and 
and I, and all the features just went through my mind, like how can we make all this easier, you know, with the resource store, with scheduling, all these different things that we have now. And so that was kind of the beginning. So that kind of leads to Blink Session, which is BlinkSession.com. Yeah. What is that? How does that, because I'm looking at the website. Right. If I'm, if I, I love the part where if I was a, a, you know, needed a therapist, I was looking at the find a teletherapist yeah. and I found all the ones listed in Ohio. Right. But if I'm a therapist, what is Blink? How does that help me? What, what, well, I am a therapist. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah. if I wanted to, I should say, if I wanted to jump into the teletherapy, what is right. Blink? How, what, how does that help? And how does that look for teletherapy? Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, if you're private, if you're in private practice, say, or you, you know, have a side gig or whatever, and you're the one behind it. And you think, okay, I want to get into teletherapy. You have some options. One of them is to use what I call a business software like Zoom. Like you and I, we're talking on Zoom right now to do the podcast. And it works really well. You mm -hmm. know, it does what we need it to do. And But essentially, Zoom or GoToMeeting or WebEx, those are business meeting solutions. And so you can use those and they might work for your situation. But what we wanted to do was solve some issues. One of them is... The, those software packages don't provide any way for you to really interact with your um, your patients, your clients, in, in terms of, um, yeah, they, there might be a whiteboard, but you have to adapt it to work for therapy. So everything about Blink Session is built for therapy. And we had some technical requirements that we wanted to meet in order to make it easier. One of them is it's, that we wanted it all to be in the web browser. So you know, if you go to, if you use Google Chrome, Firefox, or Safari, all you have to do is go to blinksystem.com. And if you have an account, if you're signed up, you go to login, and there's no software to install. So, you know, I was just personally tired of having to install software every yeah. time I wanted to have a meeting <laughs> with somebody. And I was also thinking of, you know, your client, you know, your, your client um, might not they probably don't use their personal computer for business meetings. Right. So they might use Skype, they might use FaceTime, but they might not use Zoom and they might not use WebEx. So I don't want your client, your patient to have to install something. And the browser now technologically is advanced so much so we can do video, we can do uh, interaction without Flash, like Adobe Flash plugin. We can do a lot of things right in there. And, and so it just makes it where you, it's like going to your email, you know, you log in and it's just so simple. And then one of the, uh, one of our bigger companies that uses Blink Session used to use WebEx and they report how much easier it is for the clients to get on. They, you know, they get an email, they can log in, they have a dashboard, they click one button and they're in instead of having to download software, click a link, all these different things. So, you know, at, at, it, at its essence, Blink Session is a website that you log into and do therapy online. Does that answer your question? <laughs> it, it does. And, and yeah. as you're talking, I'm kind of looking through and kind of seeing the, the free trials and kind of yeah. going back and forth around all of that. So I guess I'm a little cautious when it looks at teletherapy. And because mm. how, how, we know the effectiveness is out there. Ash is doing the research and has showed that telepractice and, and in person therapy right. is about the same amount of growth. So it's not so much that, but right. I know as a therapist that if all goes wrong, I can pull out my deck of cards <laughs> and do therapy exactly. with my deck of cards. Yeah. How does that happen? Is there, is there a deck of cards that I can use on teletherapy or how does that work? <laughs> yeah. So, you know, in, in, in Blink Session, one thing we unique we have is we call it our resource catalog, but we built this resource catalog like Teachers Pay Teachers, where mm. you can actually, if you're a member of Blink Session, you can go in and sell resources. You can buy them when we have uh, about 100 that are free. And so we have like articulation cards, we have language, we have all these different resources, game boards, um, all kinds of different things where when you start as a speech therapist or another type of therapist online session, you start with something and you have a personal resource list. You can pull from our catalog or you can add your own. So you can upload Word documents, PowerPoint, PDFs. You can create your own matching games. And all those little features are built. So like I said, when you start, you can kind of visualize how I would 
replicate what I did in person with those physical flashcards with our virtual flashcards. Oh, cool. And you don't have to go and, you know, scan in your flashcards or do something crazy like that. It would be very, very labor intensive. But um, yeah, you know, the, to me, what I noticed with my wife was, yeah, you use resources. You know, you're not like in telehealth, so much of the, uh, the, the world of telehealth has been so focused on doctors and on, and then on the other side of like mental health, there's a lot of mental health platforms, but as a speech therapist, in a sense, you're almost tutoring. You're, it's kind of like, you know, as a therapist, as an, as, as a person who's not a therapist, what I see is somebody you're really teaching and you're doing health. So you're, you need tools. The tools for you are those games and different things that help convey uh, to the student, to the client, and to reach the goal you're reaching. So that's that's a big part of our platform. Now, you were saying that it's not necessarily the scan in everything that I have. Yeah, but if, yeah. I've, if I've spent the money on, let's say, the walk book, yeah. am I able to use my PDF, like my digital mm-hmm. file on there? Am I able to? Yeah. And that's so okay. with our cloud, you know, everything with Blink Session was nice is everything's in the cloud. So you could, you go on, you log in, you have your resource list and you say, I want to add a resource to it. You can upload your resource. We, we um, uh, convert it all to make it work exactly perfectly in our system. And then when you join a session, all you do is click your resource list and join it right there. And we even have a scoring module. So if say you bring that resource in, you can score how well that student is doing. You can write the oh. uh, notes. Yeah, you can write your SOAP notes right, right in the system. There's all these little features where you try to make it easy. But you know, one of our goals was to not just give you a bunch of different games and resources, but to enable you to use what you want to use. So if you want to upload something, you upload it. It's always there, even if you switch computers. And another thing is, if you have multiple therapists, you could take that resource and you can share it with them. So they don't have to upload it. So we've kind of thought of all these little things that help out. So now, so what are some of the biggest hurdles you you mm. you're working with other therapists, obviously? And I'm kind of looking through and I see like a phagia toolbox and yeah, uh, what is that? The lighthouse therapy, right? Uh, I, I'm I, again, I'm personally just looking in Ohio, seeing who's here. But yeah. <laughs> what are some of the hurdles you've seen? other therapists have kind of stumbled on when they jump into telepractice that maybe they don't know about before they get there? Yeah, that's a good question. You know, not, I would say 90 to 95% of our business as a software platform has been from people, private practice, um, school contract people that are new into teletherapy. So we get a lot, we've got a lot of people that are getting they want either want to add it to their private practice or or they want to start a business doing it and so there is you know i I think first off one of the big things is the tech stuff you know as a as a speech therapist or any kind of therapist you're not used to sitting in front of a computer all day so you know a nerd like me who (laughs) does software development you know i'm sitting in front of a computer all day and so there's just a familiarity with software, with these different tools that you just have to get used to. You have to say, hey, now I'm going to be sitting in front of a computer and I have to know how this works. Because not only are you going to be using a computer, your client, you might have to be the IT person for them. You know, you might be have to call them on the phone and tell them how to turn on the internet or whatever it is. <laughs> but it, I have a, if you go to blinksession.com slash articles, we even have a quiz. We have a, a, are you tech ready for teletherapy quiz? Maybe in the show notes, you can put a link to that. But yeah, yeah we, because we've, it's not so much of ability. It's just that, that those therapists um, are just not around their computers as much. So that, that's the biggest thing. Um, how, so your wife, oh, or like you and your wife or your wife owns yeah. uh, Sprout Therapy that's out in Colorado, correct? Right, right. Yeah. What is her, how many does she have that it's telepractice versus in person? Yeah, for her personally, it has slowed down because we've got, we've grown a business. So we have a lot of in person, <laughs> but it, it, it is growing. I think right now she sees about 38 people a week and maybe five over telepractice. I'm not okay. sure. I'd have to, have to ask her. Um, 
but it is something that's growing. What's interesting is the consumer market is is different. You know, I I have an article on our website too about this um, that if you're this gets more into how to start a online teletherapy business, but um, you know, the consumer, the, I call them consumer, but their they're clients, pay, parents, aren't, you know, a lot of them aren't really used to the idea of doing therapy online. And, uh, and honestly, some of them, if, <laughs> well, just sometimes people will just say, well, can we just do this online? Or can we do, can they just do it on their Kindle? It's interesting because people will think about it without even really being exposed to, you know, professional telehealth. Right. And that's actually, once, that's something I want to write an article about because sometimes when people say that, when your clients say that, it's almost like you have to be- take a step back because to them, it's almost like, can this be the convenient way of doing this? But there is a lot, if they just think, oh, I can just do it on my phone and while my kid's driving, you know, I'm driving my kid to soccer practice, that's really not going to work. <laughs> and so, you know, it, you know, when you look at, can I add this to my practice? I think there's so many issues with that, you know, and getting people on, like getting individual consumers, individual parents on the computer and getting them situated is, it does require a lot of thought, you know, various things. I so kind of went off on a rabbit trail, but no, 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 it's okay. So this isn't going to be something, teletherapy is not really, oh, my patient is homesick today. So we're just going to yeah, blink in. <laughs> yeah, it, it could, you know, it, oh, it definitely could be, but I think, and that's something, you know, we were at ASHA a few weeks ago and we talked to so many people, over a thousand people we personally talked to at our booth on, and so many people are interested in teletherapy and a lot of them will, a lot of private practice people will think, well, you know, if it's a snow day, they could just use Blink Session to, uh, or Zoom or whatever to do the therapy. Well, the problem with that is you that might work, but you as the therapist have to be prepared to do that. And you don't have all the tools that you're used to using in person. So what if you're used to use, you know, with a six-year-old, you're used to using a specific game. Well, you're not going to have that game online. And so that's why it's much better to develop that tele-relationship with an, in, a client that you're used to doing the therapy online with. So let's say... Yeah. I own a private practice. I go, oh my gosh, I want to move into telepractice. Yeah. I contact you guys. What is the next step? How do you guys walk me, the therapist that owns a private practice? Right. What are the steps now, I guess? So I'm going to call Blink or I email, I guess, because we're all doing technology. What's the first things that I need to know? And then how does that all work? Yeah, so you can just go to our website and you can you can uh, sign up to watch a demo or talk call us or you do a free trial. You know, it is software at its core. We do offer other services like training and um, for bigger companies that we have a network of people that can train therapists in doing teletherapy uh, from pediatric adults, everybody. And because you know, a lot of this comes from my heart, which is to help people. I want our company to help people get online and make it work. And we see ourselves as more than just a software company, you know, and that's really, I I think that's what people need. You know, when you're, Mm -hmm. when you think of a meeting online, you think of using some piece of software that you already have on your computer, like Skype or something. Well, with us, what we want to do is say, Hey, you know, there's more to it than that. We can help you with really good software. We can help you with, training and various things maybe your company needs to get rolling. So, I mean, really you just go to our website and you can contact us. If you have questions, you can see, see how it all works. What I really like about you guys, and mm. it's the same reason I liked IEP pal, which is the, one of the data trackers is okay, that yeah. you've created this because of a need and you worked with yeah. a speech therapist you're the speech therapist you work with is ricky your wife so that helps out right. a whole lot she can probably yeah. tell you right away when something doesn't feel right for therapy yeah yeah and and iep pal uh, it came along because he watched his daughter uh doing oh, yeah doing therapy and saw how much the therapist was struggling for data i, I love that idea that 
there are people like yourself working directly with therapists to say, mm-hmm. Hey, what do you, you know, what do you need to make this work? Instead of saying, here's the round plug, try to make it fit into your square hole. And <laughs> yeah, exactly. it's you that needs to change. I, I, I love that. I love that. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I think, you know, the, like I said, the telehealth world has been so focused on doctors because, you know, and your audience will know this, they're the ones that have all the power. And mm-hmm. my brother-in-law is a doctor and <laughs> he didn't mind me saying that, but <laughs> they're the, you know, and then on the, on the software side, you know, are you going to, if you're going to spend millions of dollars to develop software, you want to sell it to all the businesses. And there's so much with money and power that goes in it. Sometimes these niches like speech therapy or, you know, OT, PT, all these things get ignored uh, until somebody comes along and says, Oh yeah, you're being ignored. So let's do something about it. <laughs> well, Eric, I, I'm so glad that we got to connect. Did I miss anything that I should have asked that I didn't know to ask? I don't think so. You know, do uh, I don't think so. <laughs> cool. I, yeah, yeah. You remembered everything. So. <laughs> well, Eric, thank you so much for sitting down with us. Today. Yeah, thanks, Matt. Welcome back to Speech Science. I'm Matt Hot, episode 88. Michelle. I can't believe it. We are almost to episode 100. I know. Are we doing a birthday party? I don't know. So if my numbers are right, <laughs> you 100. So sad on that. I know. If I did it right, I think 100 will be the week that we're in that we're in Asha. That's kind of a perfect. I, I know, right? So I'm kind of excited by that, but also very, very scared because that's usually when things go kablooey is when you try to do a live anything at asha mm, fair enough okay so well we can always i mean i like stretching out birthday celebrations so i'm okay with a birthday month or a birthday. <laughs> i guess it's not episodes really birthday, 100 episode, through 150 is our celebration maybe it's not a birthday it's a anniversary i guess there you go yeah. hey we will be coming up on three years here in february so that's kind of exciting yeah because three years would really be the the birthday i guess right oh michelle this first, this article you picked out, I figured you would love because you did time or spent time in you make the. Make it sound like I was in prison. In you prison, did I didn't mean it like somewhere. that. But you worked for the Colorado <laughs> School for the Blind and the Deaf. Yes, I did. So I am completely lost when we talk about cochlear implants. Um, this article out of the Leader, uh, FDA approves cochlear implants for single-sided deafness, asymmetric hearing loss. I don't understand cochlear implants. The way I was taught is that they turn sound waves into into electrical impulses on the nerve. Uh, yeah, I mean, to an extent, yeah, that if you are learning about a cochlear implant, my understanding, and I am not an audiologist and I am not a specialist in cochlear implants, but, uh, but I've worked with a lot of individuals who use them. And at the School for the Deaf, there were people who chose never to have one and never wanted to touch it. And there were people who had them since they were young and loved them. Uh, so we had the whole spectrum. But um, cochlear implants, my understanding, have always only been approved for people with bilateral sensory mm-hmm. neural um, hearing loss. So that's not bone conduction, not somebody who is like missing the outer or inner ear they're talking we're talking sound waves that are being pushed through through the air when you're using a cochlear implant now you're bypassing that with a cochlear implant because you're using those electrodes to stimulate in the cochlea now there's another which sounds terrifying yeah i mean and it can be because if something goes wrong that's Mm -hmm. inside right by your brain but um but it also can be a great help for people so there's there's two schools of thought on that of course um and then there's a different kind that people often get confused with cochlear implants which is you might hear the term baja like a yeah bone anchored hearing aid and that is not a cochlear implant that's actually different that's for bone conduction or a different kind of hearing loss so that's the kind of square usually square rectangle piece that you'll see sometimes when someone doesn't have an ear Oh, okay. Right? So they don't have an outer and middle ear for the sound to go through. So you have to bypass that through bone vibration, bone conduction. I've heard of the Baja before, but I didn't realize it was different than yeah. than a cochlear. Yeah, and that's like basics of what I can spit, spit out for that's you. That's fair. 
that is more than what I knew going into this conversation. So yeah, so there's, I think the one thing that gets missed is when people think, well, why wouldn't you get a cochlear implant? And um, very often you might not be a candidate for it, depending on what kind of your hearing loss you have, um, what, how you how you had that hearing loss occur? Was it from birth? Was it, is it bone conduction hearing loss? Is it mixed? Is it sensory neural? Um, what's happening with the process of hearing and what device are you a candidate for? And it sounds like they're looking, they've approved, you know, unilateral versus bilateral. So before you had to have profound in both ears and now you can have profound in one. Yeah. It is saying that it is now approved for people five years and older with single sided deafness who have profound in the, sensorineural hearing loss in one ear and normal hearing or mild in the other. They also approve for people five years and older with asymmetric hearing loss who have profound hearing loss in one ear and mild to moderate severe loss in the other with a difference of at least 15 decibels and pure tone averages between ears. Mm -hmm. And I know that this sounds like a specific, from the article, it looks like it's a specific type of cochlear implant too. Mm -hmm. And like you said, it's only over age five, unlike other ones where they will implant younger. Why are we looking at over age five? Do we know? I don't know if that's just their stipulation for the unilateral, it sounds like. For the one side hearing loss. Does anything happen between that age? Do you know? I'm not the expert to ask there. But I mean, no, I know. I'm but just, that's a lot I of language know. development. I think the it's, it's probably the, the critical sound... Um, development that might happen early on if you have bilateral um, hearing, profound hearing impairment. Check out our brothers and sisters in the audiology field for more information over there. Now, can one of our audiology listeners call in or let us know your info or an SLP who works specifically with that does oral rehab? Um, I have thought about calling my god, my son's godfather, who is an audiologist. Uh, multiple times when audiology articles happen there. But we want to hear from the speech science listener who would know better. Yes, I would love to hear from you. Hit us up. Go to our website, speechsciencepodcast.com. And from there, you can email us speechsciencepodcast at gmail.com or give us a phone call, 614-681-1798. Or, Michelle, if they want to find us on the hashtags, where do they find us? Hashtag SSPod on Instagram, speech underscore science is our username. You're there. Yep, okay. sorry. <laughs> I, I hid the bar, and I was trying to figure out how to get my bar back at the bottom of the screen so I could figure out what our last story was. Oh. Our last story! surf therapy and i i bring this up because michelle you are on the path or are you learning more about hippotherapy uh i went through the level one training for hippotherapy so utilizing horse the movement of the horse as part of speech occupational or physical therapy uh so this is coming out of newjersey.com nj.com and they call it quote surf therapy bringing joy to uh those that need it and basically it's a group that brings people out to learn how to surf that's i want to go see this this sounds I love great it. and i mean it ties right in with the rec therapy um i don't know if you've had an opportunity to work with any recreation therapist but uh, they can be a great asset to work with if you're trying to do speech pathology not in a you know, in a four-walled room or in a school. And uh, what can we do? Because we can really do our therapy in most any setting, which is the beauty of the, speech pathology. The group is called Waves of Strength, Empowering Children Through the Experience of Surfing. And what they do is they work with uh, children, usually children with some version of a special need, so cognitive or congenital or something, and they get them out there on the waves to teach them a little bit, I, I guess, the ways of surfing. But I, I, I love the idea, like how you talked about recreational therapy. Mm-hmm. It, it's so important that we get out of that 10 by 10 or 2 by 2 room. Yeah, 2 by 2, and, depending and, where you are. And Well, I've got like a huge room, but I don't want to say that. But like, <laughs> but like it's so important. Um, Lucas Stuber, who used to be on the co-host on the show... Uh, he would send me photos when he would go sky like indoor skydiving 
or whatever with some of his students or his patients. That was so cool. That's awesome. I just clicked on the one. I love their name, Waves of Strength. But yeah. I'm going to see if we can contact them because I looked at what they're what they're all about. And here's the part that's highlighted. Waves of Strength truly believes in the healing power of the ocean, the concept of surf therapy, in quotes, and its positive effect on cognitive and physical development, self-confidence, and personal growth, as well as stress relief and social, soci- socio-emotional uh, well-being for our younger generations. That is awesome. Uh, there is a student, his name is Dante, was born with congenital diaphragmatic hernia, a birth defect of the diaphragm. His mom, uh, Jennifer, says he was born with no diaphragm, causing his internal organs to be improperly arranged. He only has one lung. He spent a year in ICU, came home with oxygen feeding tubes. He's now walking, running, and learning to surf. How awesome. This is one of those stories that every time I look at it, I just get a bigger smile. But... I, I love it. It's like with the hippotherapy or service dogs that we talked, you know, briefly with Rachel last week, the idea of bringing more stuff into our therapy sessions. We, we talked about core words earlier and, and, and fringe words. Think about all the vocabulary that you could use surfing that you can use in everyday life. Mm-hmm. And didn't we... I want to say it was probably a year ago now we talked about a speech pathologist who did speech therapy in a pool. In a pool? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I do know the um, American Hippotherapy Association has worked with the, there's an association for aqua water-based therapy um, that they've worked together to kind of advocate for those different, um, you know, methods of of doing therapy specifically for OTPT or speech. I love it. I'm just looking through the pictures and, and what was their uh, sensational wonder of riding a wave. I love that. Yeah, that's great. So, all right. I hate to end it, but I have to end it because I want to go to bed at some point. I know. Me too, right? Michelle, what is exciting that's happening for you this week? I'm going to Colorado, like I said. Going to Colorado on Wednesday. We can't wait to spend some time there. Uh, back to the mountains for a little bit. And also... My son has started walking, so that's fun. Aww. Yep. Not completely, but he walked across the whole room by himself today. Well, there goes the easy part of parenthood. Hey, I'm enjoying it. I'm really liking this. The little changes are fun. No, they are fun, but there was a sheer terror when the kids could start walking in my house because, like, you kind of baby-proof when they crawl, but once they start walking... You really have to be like, oh, that's no longer out of their crawling range. It's like, oh, that's within their walking range. Yeah, he's been he's been climbing on everything long before he could walk. So we've had to start adjust that adjustment a little earlier. Uh, only thing I got going for me, I get to see kids and my son has a second soccer game of the season. And then we have a nice little Labor Day weekend already coming up. Are so I'm happy for that one. Peewee soccer? No, oh. <laughs> I am not coaching peewee soccer. Uh, I did. Okay. So I coach high school sports uh-huh. and I coached my son's t-ball team a couple years ago. I don't know, man. Like, I I loved coaching my son, don't get me wrong, but there is something very rewarding and relaxing about watching on the sideline and, how do I put this without sounding like a terrible parent, not really caring about the other kids? You can focus on watching your kids. Right. I can focus on my son. Like, when I was coaching, it was like, okay, Mike, great job. Now I got to go over here and help this kid. And tell him great job, too, and make and, sure like, we yeah. okay. Yeah, and, and as a parent, I can be like, go, Jimmy, Michael, keep going, buddy. Like, like, you know what I mean? I don't know. No, I, I understand. James is not playing. See, there you go. My Jimmy is not yeah. playing, oh. not playing any sports yet as a one-year-old, but we'll get there. You will uh, get there. Uh, our opening music today was Please Listen Carefully by Jazar. It's licensed under an attribution and share alike license. Our bump music is the County Fair Rock copyright of John Deku. You can find his music over at soundcloud.com front sl- or, uh, backslash dirt dog music. And our closing music is the Slow Burn by Kevin McLeod. It's licensed under a Creative Commons and attribution license. We want to hear from you, so I'm going to give you everywhere you can find us. You can find us on Facebook. You can find us on Twitter at Speech Science PC. Michelle, what's the Instagram? 
hashtag SSPod. Uh, you can find us on the web, speechsciencepodcast.com, or email us, speechsciencepodcast at gmail.com, or give us a phone call, 614-681-1798. But always make sure you are rating and reviewing us five stars. And if you want to, patreon.com uh, help support us so that we can keep bringing you episodes every week. In the immortal words of Janice Wright, always be a willow because in the storm of life, you will want to be strong and be like the mighty oak, but the mighty oak will break under the first sign of pressure. The willow will bend and return to uh, form for Michelle Wintering and the absent Michael McLeod. Aww. I'm Matt Hot. So long, everybody. Bye. This has been an Exceptional Podcast Network production. Speech Science is edited and produced by MWH Production. Please follow Speech Science on Twitter at SpeechSciencePC and like our page on Facebook. For more original podcasts, please visit ExceptionalEd.com and rate and subscribe to our podcasts anywhere you get your podcasts.